colonial. We have to unlearn. Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Somebody ought to do something about that. What would Quay say? Is this the Oppression Olympics? Decolonization. It's the data. The revolution will not be televised because it is starting with infants and toddlers. Welcome to Get on the Early Childhood Bus, where we break down everyday issues affecting our youngest children. We're going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to go. So get on the bus and be prepared for a journey that takes us down a path that examines our systems and applies child-centered solutions to give kids what they need to thrive. Let's hit the road and get this bus moving. What's up, Atina? Hello, Penny Smith. How you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I can't complain. I mean, I could, but why? Right. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so I heard through the grapevine that you had a conversation with Chef Christian um, about food security, especially this is important because with our summit coming up in September, part of our effort of finding the baby, as we call it, in these other intersections of issues that impact children you know, one of the things is definitely food security. So I'm really curious about the conversation you had with him. He helped us out last year with our summit by hosting one of our roundtables. So I want to be nosy and find out what you guys talked about. I did. I had a lovely conversation with Chef Greg Christian of Beyond Green Partners. He's a CEO of a very cool organization that uses food preparation, kitchen training, and education to promote institutional level change toward healthy food systems, basically. And that is his passion. We had a nice conversation, and I want you to hear what he has to say about getting fresh food to kids, talking about the research that he does with Beyond Green Partners to measure how food is being used and wasted and things that we can do to prevent food waste. He had a lot of great ideas and a lot of really interesting things to say. So let's get started and meet Chef Greg Christian. Yeah, I'm Greg Christian, and uh, thanks for inviting me to uh, be on podcast with Erickson. Uh, We at Beyond Green Partners, we have two sides. One of them is we make, we make a preschool kids food and we make about in Chicago, we make about 5,000 meals a day and deliver that to little kids in Chicago and the suburbs. And then the other side of the business is we consult to hospitals, long-term living, and hopefully one day prisons, we like to work in big kitchens and teach them how to make fresh local food from scratch because most of our bigger kitchens in the country reheat food today. And, 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 and so we bring fresh food in a, in a cost neutral way to those places. We're currently doing 14 schools and uh, Salinas, California, 
and we've worked all over North America on, you know, really teaching people how to cook in, in fresh food in really big kitchens. That's really exciting. I personally have an experience as a site director at a child care center years ago. And if you're the site director, inevitably you end up in the kitchen. And I spent some time setting things up to prepare meals. And I can hardly even call it preparing meals because the food that was brought in, put in heaters, stayed there until lunchtime. Very few fresh options, a few, but a lot of it was just cooking all day. And so it's exciting to hear that people are putting work into making sure there's fresh offerings for young children to support learning, growth, and development. So that is an intro to Chef Christian and some of the work that he is doing. We had a great conversation talking about plate waste, which doesn't sound very exciting, but it's really important because it gives us some insight into what kids are and are not eating. A lot of children depend on the food that they get in their school environments and institutional environments for their nutrition. So what's being wasted is actually a very big deal. And one of the really cool things that Beyond Green Partners is doing under Chef Christian's leadership is measuring what gets wasted of the food that they prepare and offer. Well, so when we talk about plate waste, is this like old school where I, I have memories of, you know, adults telling children, eat everything on your plate just for the sake of eating it? Are we actually moving past that outdated way of looking at it and asking questions about, well, why is that food wasted? Now, what does that mean? I think because we want to know what's working for the children in the schools and the settings so that what we provide for them will actually be consumed so they do have access to that nutrition and so that we're not forcing them to eat something that is unappealing for some reason. It's a balance, you know, like when we got that talk when we were kids, like you got to clean your plate, you can't leave the table, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> That's not what we're doing Facts. in schools, right? <laughs> and we want to make sure that the food is being used, that the resources are not being wasted, but there's also something to be learned from measuring what isn't getting eaten and when, and maybe we get to the why from there. So that's really important. And what we'll hear about later that is also necessary to think about is when people, including children who are people, have some connection with or some voice in the food that they're eating and where it comes from and how it's prepared, they're a lot more likely to eat it. And so if we're thinking about how we want these resources to actually be made use of, we want children to have access to this good food because all the food that they prepare and send out to the schools that they're working with is 100% fresh. So this sounds like quality, right? So if I, if I back it up a little bit, and I'd like to kind of hear about what your conversation was like with him and break it down into, you know, what we lovingly call in the Early Childhood Leadership Academy, Quay. And Quay is Q-A-E, which stands for Quality, Access, and Equity. So it sounds like we're starting off with quality. And what comes to mind for me when, you know, as you're talking about plate waste and, and, and quality is an organization that we recently found called Appetite for Change, 
which is located in North Minneapolis. It's a nonprofit organization that uses food as a tool to build health, wealth, and social change. And about seven years ago, they provided a space for youth in Minneapolis who wanted to share their message about the importance of actively choosing healthy foods with their peers in a fun, accessible, musical format. So they created a rap and the hairs on my arm stood up. It was just so touching to hear the voice, you know, of the youth, you know, as it relates to food quality. And I'd like to <laughs> kind of give you an excerpt of what that musical effort resulted in. Of course, I'm an excellent rapper. We all know that, we but um, I might not, <laughs> not do it the justice. And I'm certainly not going to try to rap the way that they did. But what I would like to do is invite the audience to hear the entire music video. It's only about four minutes long. It can be found on Appetite for Change Inc. YouTube channel. I invite you to listen to it. It's amazing. It's also a great demonstration of getting voices from the community to talk about their efforts as opposed to having someone that's a know-it-all trying to tell them what they should want. And so here's a little excerpt, I will say, as far as the lyrics go uh, for this song. So hopefully I can do it justice. Okay. All this talk about guns and the drugs, pretty serious. But look at what they feeding y'all. That's what's really killing us. Please change the food in my school. Make it good. Get that fake food up out of my hood. Hope the message is not misunderstood. Grow and cook your own food. Yes, you could. Got the little homies in the garden. Got the big homies selling collard greens. And the north side ain't starving since community cooks been on the scene. Screaming hot Cheetos and Takis, boy. You better eat your broccoli. Fake food is kind of lame, putting poison in your brain. So that's a little excerpt from that song. And I just invite the audience to go ahead and, and really listen to that. It's really telling about what the youth are feeling about, you know, what's impacting them. And it's definitely a focus on food. And I think we should hear it and the quality of that food, not just food, access to just junk food, but the quality of the food. So I think that's right on time. So, but if we move into the A, which is access, what did you find out from Chef Christian? What we learned about thinking about access, and thank you for sharing those words of wisdom and that excellent spoken word version of the rap. Access is another place where collecting data becomes very important, thinking about that plate waste. And we have to think about how hunger is not the only motivator for our relationship with food because a lot of times we think, okay, well, we've provided food. If these kids are hungry, they're going to eat it. If we look at the data, that's proven not to be true. Children will pass up food that they are not interested in, even if they are hungry, and then they will wait until they can go and find something that tastes good or feels good to eat. And that's something Chef Christian also talked about. So we think about access, not just purely can you get your hands on it, but is it something that you want for whatever reason? Because food, it's, you know, we're not cars. This isn't just gasoline. We're people, we have culture. And I think most people know food is hugely cultural. And so if you have food that doesn't necessarily line up with what you're familiar with culturally or regionally, or it just doesn't taste good, your palate isn't attuned to it, perhaps, maybe it's something you've never had before, then it's still not accessible to you. 
we can argue all day long about is food in front of you, you should be taking it, why are you not eating that, you're wasting. We can we can have that argument or we can figure out another way to make sure the food that is available is making its way into children's growing bodies. Another thing that Chef Christian talks about, he tells a great story about cooking in Hawaii and having athletes who actually are um, not eating and the coach comes to him and says, I need you to do something about this. These kids are not eating and they're not performing well. And so taking that into account was another place where he learned to kind of shift the way that he was thinking about food and what children need to make sure that they're getting what is ostensibly available. But there's another step we have to take if we want to be effective in making sure that everyone has access to food. I mean, it's all wrapped up in, you know, hunger. It's all, you know, to me, it's like kind of turning into the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's really bad food, of course, on your way home, you're going to stop with your dollar and get a bag of chips. Absolutely. You're starving. Yeah. And you're not connected to where your food comes from. In general, it's nobody's fault. The parents are working two, three jobs. Sure. You know, they don't have the land for the farm, the garden. So I'd love to hear about how he goes about, you know, sort of creating these relationships in order to figure out how to increase access to these, to this quality food. Can you share with us what he talked about as it relates to his own philosophy on this? Absolutely. And let's hear from Chef Christian himself on that. I hear you talking about relationships. I hear you talking about really caring about what communities are interested in, what the children are interested in, which can be a rare thing that someone would come in from the outside and offer that kind of respect. So I'm just imagining the kind of impact that that has on populations that are often not afforded that, especially by people who kind of represent systems and structures and institutions. Yeah, I learned this the hard way. I was an arrogant fancy chef for a long, you know, 25 years, chasing flavor, working in high-end restaurants. You know, at 25, I was running a 30-person kitchen in New York City. Mm. And I was like this typical command and control chef. And then I really had a big transformation working in Hawaii because in Hawaii, when, when a white guy shows up, it's like this expert type people on the ground were very trepidatious and they let me know well the first thing that happened was I used to this is embarrassing I, I never said please and thank you in the kitchen for like you know 35 years <clears throat> so I'm working up in Kohala on the big island and I know some people might judge me about this. And and they and the ladies, all ladies in the kitchen, and they took me aside on day three and they said, You have to say please and thank you in the kitchen. Please. Wow. So I went home, I called my girlfriend, I, I, I cried. This is a true story. And I So I wanted to share that particular piece because in addition to being a really, really interesting story about transformation and and learning how to engage with different cultures it really 
sparked my thinking about access and how another dimension of access is if we're not connecting and communicating with each other, that is another barrier to access. Yes. And I've seen this happen in so many ways as a, as a worker in nonprofit spaces. I've seen people go into one cultural space that is not their own and operate as though it is their own cultural space. And there is, there's a wall that goes up Mm -hmm. and people who they're supposedly helping are not interested in what they have to offer because they can't offer it in a way that recognizes and respects their humanity. So that's another way of thinking about access how are you bringing what you have to offer to people and is it in a way that people can trust yeah you know what comes to mind for me is you know the farmers markets right Mm -hmm. i hear about these farmers markets in these different neighborhoods and often spoken about like it's supposed to be accessible right it's supposed to you know help the farmers with getting rid of some of the excess food that they may have. And then also it is intended to create access, right, to those foods, to the neighborhoods. But I always often wonder, like questions that come to mind for me is, you know, how truly accessible are these farmers markets to everyone in the community, right? What days of the weeks do they hold these farmers markets? And what time of the day are they open? Is this accessible to someone who, a caregiver who might have two to three jobs, like Chef Christian talked about? What about their situation? If it's only open on the weekends and closes by noon, how accessible is that to someone who might have a different working schedule? And then how is that information about that farmer's market disseminated to everyone in the community? Because I could put some fruit and vegetables in my front yard and say, well, I had it available. I don't know what happened to everybody. How, how does anybody know unless they live on my street that I have it out there, right? right? And are there events that can draw these caregivers who may not have time to prepare healthy food for their families? So for example, are there some sample food delivery vendors that mm-hmm. could offer some prep food already kind of there at, you know, as part of this farmer's market event, like really make it an event that could be educational and truly accessible. If you're, if that's your true intention. So, you know, we often talk about intention versus impact. And so what is the intention and are we using these farmer's markets to its fullest capability? So that's something that comes to mind for me when I think about access. I think that ties in really well with the cultural piece too. In a city like Chicago, access to farmers markets, while they're out in the neighborhoods, everyone can walk up to it and find it. There tends to be a vibe that it's more oriented towards people who are middle, upper middle class. Um, Certainly the prices can be sometimes and the artisanal foods available, but still, We have to do something to make sure that everyone knows that this is for me, too. These are not elite vegetables. (laughs) Elite vegetables, right. (laughs) Can I get that elite tomato over there? Right. Exactly, exactly. And I think your points about how are things communicated and are people invited in are also um, really important. Invitation is another big cultural thing that I think often people don't think about. It's one thing to lay it on the table. It's another thing to say, please come eat at my table. Right. That makes a lot of sense to me. 
so let's I'd like to share one more piece about thinking about access and what Chef Christian had to say since we are finding the baby the work that Beyond Green Partners does to engage small children in developing healthy palates so that they are familiar with the kinds of foods that are considered healthy foods. And so it doesn't feel foreign to them when later they're presented with something like hummus or avocado, which Mm -hmm. are very common for some people. Those are staples Mm -hmm. for some cultures. Mm -hmm. And for other people, I've definitely seen people look at hummus and be like, what, what is that mush? <laughs> I'm not putting that in my mouth. <laughs> and, you know, I, I kind of understand. Let's hear what he has to say about some of those educational programs. Did you have engagement with the youngest children, like early childhood? Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we would make food for uh, Salinas and other places where we were. There's early childhood happening in the schools, and we and we make them their food, and we always attempt, you know, to get gardens in and to get the kids in the garden. We did a school up in uh, on the Big Island, and there was early childhood, and the kids all gardened, and you know, they they don't have to even really know what's going on. You know, totally, but picking a weed, helping water, being around life happening, watching a tomato go from not there to there, and then picking a tomato, boom. Like, they're interested. They're interested. So I I don't know how to get gardens or a or plants that have food on them in preschools in Illinois, you know, or the country. I don't know a lot about how policy works, Mm -hmm. but it would really help if if, if they can grow a little bit of food and then pick it and maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. toss the parsley into the tomato salad or pull the carrot out of the ground. It's Mm -hmm. it's magic. Yeah. And it touches their hearts. Yeah. So engaging them in foodness, like I think the Waldorf schools and the Montessori, the fancier schools probably mm-hmm. do that. Would be Oh, they guess. do. Yeah. And there's a reason. Now I'm yeah. not saying that every preschool and you know, there's no there's we're short teachers, they're busy. But, you know, can we get them in the food a little bit? So what I really appreciate about what Chef Christian is saying in that segment is he's talking about a practice we actually have access to. Um, He's basically talking about developmentally appropriate practice for very young children. Everything that he says there, the hands-on learning, the scaffolded introduction to vocabulary and, you know, labeling, all those things. And it's so funny because to hear him talk, he's like, oh, I don't know anything about education. That's that's for you guys. But obviously he does because everything yes. that he's saying is what, you know, I would be looking for as, you know, an education coach in a classroom. Wonderful. And that's something that we could be doing. Also, there is something to be said for if we don't have enough wherewithal of 
curriculum development in our schools if our teachers don't have access to that kind of curriculum and they haven't been exposed to it, how are they going to lead the kids into it in the classroom? Exactly. And that's not a deficit of the teachers. Right. That's an availability of resource. That exactly. is access. That is equity. And yeah. like he said, you know, in the Montessori's and some of the fancier places, they're definitely doing those kinds of practices. But there's also, there's definitely, let's give credit to there are definitely preschools that are doing this as well, like that aren't Montessori, yes. but they, yes. but there are grants. And, and that's another great thing that we're, we've got going on in Illinois. There are definitely grants out there now for preschools to have access, childcare centers to have access to this type of thing. And it's all about knowing that the grant is there and to actually yes. feel like you can get access to it. So having the courage to say, hey, okay, there's a chance I can get this grant. Actually doing it is the bigger step as well. I'm loving this. I love that this is a thing. And I think we should get the word out that there is funding out there that exists for these children to have the programs and then also for parents or caregivers to access some, you know, some things that they can learn some things in terms of, you know, learning with their children as well. So putting all of this into practice, I love how this is all coming together. Yes, this is all always to supplement access. So if you're out there, you're an educator, you're a caregiver, a parent, look these things up. If your school doesn't have these things, your school might be able to. And then your kids can maybe have a garden box outside. If that doesn't work, they can maybe have a little window garden inside the classroom. There's always opportunities. And these are really, really important uh, resources to take care of so that policymakers understand that there is a demand for this. So really important points for access. I really appreciate that Chef Christian makes it his policy to offer respect, to think about children being involved and families being involved and using that measurement to have a positive impact towards making things more accessible um, because changes can happen. He's doing it kind of at a school by school level. There are ways that parents and caregivers and educators can be involved to support those changes and improve access at the systemic level. So really exciting things going on. Thank you for listening to Get on the Early Childhood Bus podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive. 